Hi everybody, Mike Wardrop from Encounter Church here and thanks so much for tuning into our podcast. Our prayer is that through this podcast, you could have an encounter with Jesus that will change your life. And now get ready for an inspiring message from our teaching team. Okay, so we are in the midst of a sermon series called Vision Values, and we are exploring the missional goals for Encounter Church in 2020. Every organization has goals. They have purposes around why they gather, and we're no different. We don't gather for nothing. We gather for a reason. We gather under the name of Jesus to declare the name of Jesus and the praises of him who has saved us. But in the midst of that, we've, we've got these goals we want to achieve and the, and the way we want to go about them. And as you walked in, you may have seen them. They're up on uh, the wall behind you. That is, we are all about having hearts on fire for Jesus. We're all about having, uh, be, developing resilient disciples. We're all about contending in prayer. And we're all about, tonight, developing culturally engaged leaders. And so I'm very excited to bring a word about this to you tonight. Now, there is a hierarchy with this, okay? We've got these four core values that encounter. They have a hierarchy. First, we're all about Jesus. And then we're all about people. And then we've got two that are on the same level, that we're all about being real and we're all about being generous. And it's the same way with our cultural values. First and foremost is that we are about developing resilient disciples, long-term, lifelong, passionate, faithful followers of Jesus. And then we're about setting hearts on fire for Jesus, that it's not just lifelong, but it's passionate because a relationship with Jesus is not meant to be endured, it's meant to be enjoyed. It's a life worth living. And under that, we have these two that sit together that we want to be contending in prayer and we want to have culturally engaged leaders, which is why I'm, I'm just really subtly reinforcing that through my clothing tonight. None of you would have picked it up that we're talking about culture. It's, uh, I have to wear this without a jacket now. Those who, if you know, you know. You know. Culturally engaged leaders. Culture is everywhere. Uh, I am enculturated all the time without even realizing it. Hands up who owns an iPhone, right? Just, just be honest. Okay. People who own iPhones are usually pretty proud of it, by the way, so they probably put their hands up pretty quickly. So I own an iPhone. I have spent most of my adult life, particularly as smartphones have come out, being a non-Apple person, right? Not necessarily pro-Android, just kind of anti-Apple, because Apple sucks you in. They suck you into a vortex where you have to own everything. And then I actually won an iPad. And I was like, well, I'm not going to get mad at Apple about that. I mean, they didn't do it, but you know, I still, still won an iPad. I was like, this is fantastic. I'm going to use an iPad. Then I started a new job, and I got a work phone with it, and they gave me an iPhone. It's like, oh, great. And then through the generosity of a friend of mine's heart, they gave me a, a MacBook. I was like, wow, this is awesome. But now I have all Apple products. And so I did what everyone else does who owns Apple products, and I started airdropping left, right, and center, because airdropping is the best thing about Apple products. <laughs> and then I went, well, like, I want to get some headphones that are pretty good that you know, I, can, I can use on the occasions when I tell myself I'm going to do exercise. Note the <laughs> phrasing there. And, and so I was like, well, I guess I better buy some AirPods. And now I've come to the point that everyone discovers when they buy an Apple product which is to realize there's no way out. I, I can't ever change. I don't care about Apple products. You will never catch me lining up for the new iPhone, which is just crazy, like people getting frostbite in the morning to line up for a, a new iPhone. I don't care, but I can't get out. I am in an Apple horror film right now <laughs> that Steve Jobs has helped create. 
This is what happens when we get enculturated. We don't even know it's happening. There's a classic story that summarizes culture. I've used it before, but I'm going to use it again. There's a wise old fish swimming along one day, and he passes these two younger fish, and he says to them, Morning, boys, how's the water? And after he passes, one fish turns to the other and says, What's water? Because that's what culture is. It's the water we swim in. It's the oxygen we breathe. It's everything around us. We don't even know what it's doing most of the time. And one of the things we believe we are called to do as followers of Jesus is to know our culture and read it and understand it. So this is what we're going to unpack today. And hopefully this will help make you feel more equipped and ready to take on whatever comes in terms of your faith and your life. And I think this is going to be an encouragement whether you're a person of faith or not. So let me talk about culture a little bit more. Uh, you have culture that you don't even realize. You come from a family background. Your family has traditions and cultures. Uh, we do pre-marriage prep with young couples that are about to get married, and every time they get married, you know, you find out the, the silly little things that are your culture, and the other family has a slightly different culture, and they don't necessarily matter until suddenly they're different. And then they suddenly matter, you know? So if you are a person whose family puts their tomato sauce in the cupboard or the fridge, you know, and you're like, oh, it doesn't matter. And then they, and then they go, okay, and they put it in the cupboard. And you're like, oh, when I said it doesn't matter, like, obviously, that's because we're putting it in the fridge. And then you start fighting because that's what happens. And uh, our, our church has a shared culture. We have a shared language. We talk about things all the time. Jess talked about it already. We have a bucket list church. We have a plus one culture. You know, we believe the best in people. We're a triple tithing church. We're, you know, all these, all these. Yeah, okay. It was worth a shot. Here's one definition of culture that I think is helpful for us. It's going to be on the screen behind me. That culture is the ideas, customs, and social behavior of a particular people or society. Now, I think it can be tricky knowing exactly what that means in, in a time like ours. You, you have your own family cultures, like I talked about. You have your own ethnic background and your demogra various demographics that you fit into in a whole bunch of different ways, and that, that's fine. But here are a few cultural subgenres and subcategories that I think are helpful for you to understand. Okay, so here's the first one. There is a millennial and Gen Z culture. And the reason I say that is not because it's a, a different generation, and every generation you know, has their own vibes and, and the own things that shape them and make them a particular generation. Here's why. Modern sociology and, and statistical research has suggested that Generation Zs in particular have more in common with other Generation Zs across the globe than they do with their own grandparents. Now, this is interesting. This is the first time this has ever happened in human history because suddenly we're a global, we're, we're a global society. Uh, the Hong Kong riots, fascinating example. There are, there are people in Australia who are more concerned and more knowledgeable about the Hong Kong riots than they are about the state of their neighbour and about who lives next door. We are actually more inclined to know what's going on in politics in the US than we are to know who our immediate neighbours are. Wow. This is just the fact of our society right now. I'm not trying to make a judgment on that per se. I'm just trying to say this is a cultural force that we need to be aware of. Here's a second one. What is Australian culture right now? I don't really know. I don't really know. Now, in the 20th century, I could have told you what it was. Basically, Aussie culture is largely Anglo people from an English background with a smattering of people with Greek and Italian backgrounds thrown in and, and a few other people who had migrated over. That's basically, and of course, indigenous peoples, but we didn't talk about them nearly enough in the 20th century. Just, yeah, that's my little hobby horse. Um, and that's basically what 20th century culture looked like. Now, 21st century, 
two out of three Australians, that is people who are citizens of Australia, were born in Australia, but one out of three wasn't. That's a lot of migration. It's incredibly exciting, actually, but it is a lot of people who have come from one place into another. What do they bring with them? Culture. And when two cultures meet, it becomes a melting pot. Sometimes there's tension. Sometimes there's an incredible sense of joy. It's not necessarily, and this is one of my big points about culture, it's not necessarily bad. Culture is neither bad nor good. It simply is. That's just, the concept of culture isn't bad or good. But a culture can be bad or good. So as Australia moves into the 21st century, we are far more diverse and that brings with it new challenges and new opportunities. So what do we do about that? Well, it's just something we need to think about. And the final one is this, the global culture that I touched on before. I remember preaching at a church the morning after Trump got elected president of the United States. And I remember the, the kind of stress and anxiety and fear in that church, and I, I kind of felt it too. And I remember thinking afterwards, he, he doesn't really have anything to do with Australia. Why are we so anxious about this? But we are. Like, every time he does something, we're like, oh, no, what's he done this time? And yes, the president of the United States has a lot of power. But he has far less sway over our country than we realize. We get very anxious about something happening on the far side of the globe. And again, maybe we don't pay as much attention to the poverty happening down the road from us. This is the tension of living in a global culture. Again, in and of itself, it's neither bad nor good. It simply is. It's up to us to work out what we do with it. That's the tension of culture. Let me offer you, though, an alternative definition of culture that I think is also important. Culture is to breed and keep particular living things in order to get the substances they produce. We can breed culture. We can grow culture. A culture is something that is alive. It breathes. It flows. It grows. It evolves. It changes. So if culture and in and of itself is neither bad nor good, then it's up to us in the culture to understand it, to interpret it, and know what to do with it, right? And that's what we're going to get into tonight. So to do that, let's dig back into the book of Acts and see what the Lord's saying through these scriptures tonight. Now, Book of Acts is all about what happens after Jesus is resurrected and ascends into heaven. So it's about the lives of ordinary people like you and I going about and working miracles, in fact, in a whole bunch of different ways. And in this particular case, we've got Paul. Now, Paul wrote about half the New Testament. And Paul was in the city of Athens. He's going on this missionary journey around Greece and around Turkey. And he comes to Athens as a Jewish apostle of Jesus, and he's waiting for his friends, and he does what he always does. He reads the culture. This is what he does. As he reads the culture, it distresses him. It bothers him how far away the city is from God. Maybe that's some of you in this room, as you look around at your culture today, the wider culture. It distresses you how far it seems from God. And culturally engaged leaders should find it disturbing when God is being mocked, ignored, or diminished, because that shapes the culture. But here's the key. Let's see what Paul does with his distress. First, he goes to the synagogue. Now, he goes to the synagogue because Paul is Jewish, and when he goes to the synagogue, he knows he will find either other, other people who are from Israel or people who follow the Jewish religion. So either way, he will have common ground with people. So he goes to a place where he knows what other people are going to be talking about and thinking and going through, and he begins to reason and talk with them. And then he finishes up there, 
and he goes across to the marketplace. Now, the marketplace was a place called the Agora. You may have heard of this word. And while it was very much a marketplace like we think of with vendors and, and sellers and stalls, it was also a marketplace of ideas. It was a place where people came to discuss philosophy. So Paul comes into the Agora. This is just how he spent his day. Synagogue, Agora, sleep, repeat. Synagogue, Agora, sleep, repeat. And he goes into the Agora, into the marketplace, and he starts there to share the gospel. And the scriptures say that every day he reasoned with the other philosophers there. And he goes to the synagogue and he reasons with the other Jewish people there because Christianity came out of Judaism. Paul was a, was a Jewish man and a believer in Yahweh before he had a conversion into Christianity. So he understood that. He knew that culture. He'd come out from it and he could speak into it. But likewise, he had this particular mission on his life to speak to those who had never encountered God before in this way. And so he went out there and he changed his reasoning and his philosophy and the way he communicated. And in a later letter, he would put it this way, I've become all things to all people so that by all means, I might help some find hope in Jesus. So Paul keeps going. He has these great debates with other philosophers and, and some disregarded him and some considered him, but nobody stopped him. And finally, somebody important took notice and invited him to the Areopagus, which is where the cultural elite lives. Areopagus means Mars Hill, um, and that is a, a place where the cultural elite would gather and they would also discuss philosophies, but at a, at a level that could start influencing policy and cities and nations. And so this is what happens. Paul is brought by others to share his thoughts on his own philosophy, following the way of Jesus. And they ask him to explain it to them. And Paul begins not by going, you foolish Greeks, you don't know anything, following false gods. And he doesn't come back and go, you know, you've got Jewish people over there, they've got half an idea. No, 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 no. He comes in by saying, people of Athens, I see you're very religious and I love that. He finds something in the culture to affirm, and he speaks into it, and he says, you've got a little taste. Right now, you've got a little taste of God, but I'm telling you, I want to give you more. I want a bigger picture for you. And so he compliments their desire for truth and religion. Then he suggests to them that they've already begun worshiping God without realizing it, and the sermon goes on from there, and Paul begins to make converts and disciples, and he ends up planning a church in Athens, and he does it by sharing his story with those around him in a way that makes sense. And when you put it that way, it doesn't sound that complicated, does it? But this is what it means to be a culturally engaged leader. Now, I wonder if you've asked this question yet. Why leaders? You know, like, why not culturally engaged disciples or Christians or followers or whatever? Here's why. It's because in this church, we are sold out for developing followers of Jesus who are leaders of people. Followers of Jesus, leaders of people. So people who willingly humble themselves before God and serve and love others, but show distinct leadership in their own environments. And can I tell you, any environment you go into, you have the capacity to have influence. You have the capacity to be a leader. It does not matter what environment you're in. You can shape culture. You can lead people. And so this is, people who intentionally think about their situations and cultures and are willing to shape them towards the kingdom of God, that's a culturally engaged leader. So how do you become a culturally engaged leader? Well, I want to give you four examples. Here is the first one. Number one, a culturally engaged leader reads the culture. A culturally engaged leader reads the culture. This is what it says in Colossians chapter 2, verse 8. Be careful 
that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deceit based on human tradition, based on the elements of the world rather than Jesus Christ. Now, we shouldn't be living by accident. We shouldn't be engaging with the world around us without thoughtfulness. I think sometimes this is a fair allegation that's leveled at followers of Jesus, that they're being blind in the way they're thinking. And sometimes we are. And we have to stop that. We are called to have a keen mind and sound understanding. We're not lacking brain power. And God is not afraid of our intellectual and philosophical questions. He's doing just fine. He's not concerned about it. We can bring those to him, and we should. Here's the thing about not living by accident and not being taken captive. If you can't read the culture, you can't know how to respond to the culture. So if, you, if, if culture is like the water we swim in, we have to be aware that there are waves, there are currents, there are riptides. How are we paying attention to those? The theologian Karl Barth used to put it this way when he talked about theology. He said, a good theologian, that is someone who's just learning more about God, should have a Bible in one hand and a newspaper in the other. They should be learning about the Word of God, and then they should be looking at what is happening in the wider culture. We shouldn't be necessarily shutting ourselves off in monasteries or hiding away in some kind of Christian ghetto, but instead, we should be part of the world around us that God has created. We're not called to hide away. What are we hiding from? Absolutely nothing. Jesus critiqued the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the time. Why? Because they couldn't work out what God was doing around them. He said, you can tell what the weather is going to do and how that affects the, the way you should go out and fish and, you know, what, ships, boats. I can't think of other fishing terminology. How to do all of that. But you can't read the times. You can't work out what God is doing. You can work out the wind, but you don't know what God is doing among you. And it was one of his major critiques of the religious leaders. So when we read the culture, our first question to ask is, what is God doing in our culture today? What's happening? Let's not be blind, but also let's not assume everything's going bad. What's happening in our culture today? Then we ask if what we see around us reflects God or not. Does it honor God or not? Does it build the kingdom of God or not? Do we understand the agendas of the philosophies and statements of our time? Because they have agendas. They are not necessarily malicious. Everyone has an agenda. I have an agenda. I want you to be in a relationship with Jesus Christ. I want you to have an encounter with Jesus that changes your life. I want you to be fully transformed by that. Not because I want your money, but just because I think that is the most extraordinary thing a person can do with their life. Everyone has an agenda. We need to be wise enough to think about what they are. That's all. Again, culture is neither bad nor good. It simply is. We've got to read it ourselves. Here's the second thing. A culturally engaged leader sets culture. Okay? They're not swayed by every opinion. This is what it says in Ephesians chapter 4. It says, uh, And he gave himself, himself gave some to be apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers, equipping the saints for the work of ministry to build up the body of Christ until we all reach unity in the faith and the knowledge of God's Son, growing into maturity with a stature measured by Christ's fullness. Then we will no longer be little children tossed by the waves and blown around by every wind of teaching, by human cunning with cleverness in the techniques of deceit. But speaking the truth in love, let us grow in every way into him who is the head, Christ. Now, every environment you step into is set by someone. Why not you? Why not you? Every environment you walk into is set by somebody. The most common thing people do right now, if they don't know what to do in their life, Anyone know? 
What would you say to somebody when they say, I don't know how to do this, your immediate response would be, Google it. Google it. Exactly. And usually what happens is as they Google it, the first hit that comes up on Google is either Wikipedia, which is crowdsourced, sometimes is, you know, sometimes knows what it's talking about, sometimes does not, or YouTube, which is just somebody going, yeah, I'm an expert, have a listen. You're like, all right, sure. Other people seem to have thought you were an expert based on how many views you have, which I'm sure has nothing to do with gaming the SEO or anything like that. So I guess we'll pay attention to this. And, and this is actually the way we begin to get informed and educated. Now, again, this is neither bad nor good, but we need to know how much search engines define our education as people. This is, this is not a joke. This is not a conspiracy theory. Let me, I'll, I'll get back to this in a second. I, what I want to talk about for a second is indoctrination, okay? Because this is, this is just something I'm very passionate about. I told you before about our four core values, Jesus, real, generous, and people. Before this church ever launched, eight of us sat around a dining room table and, and came up with these four core values. And now, you know, this church, this church lives and dies by them. This is who we are. We set them to indoctrinate this church in that. We wanted it to be all about Jesus. We wanted it to be all about people, all about being real, all about being generous. And I get there could be a part of you right now that's going, you're indoctrinating me? Yes, everybody is indoctrinating you all the time. When you go onto the Apple store, they love that. <laughs> Click on something. Let them keep the cookie. Hey, no big deal. It's just cool if we accept your cookies, right? Yeah, no worries. We'll just keep that data. We're definitely not mining it. Everything's fine. You know, this, this is what's happening. But everything is indoctrinating you. It's not always, again, either bad or good. You've got to work that out for yourself. So that was how we set values that we thought would be a healthy culture. A healthy culture. Now, there is, there is a movement right now. It's not so much a movement as, again, just a cultural force. That for parents, there is a really strong sense that, go, that you should go very hands-off parenting. Oh, I've got to let my kids do what they like. Can I tell you, my son Noah would just be like a bag of Skittles. A human... <laughs> bag of Skittles if I let him do whatever he liked. He would never sleep and, until the part where he just crashes out. He would be running around screaming at the top of his lungs because here's the thing about children. They don't know what's good for them most of the time. That's not to say you don't listen to them. That's not you don't say you don't pay attention to them. But if you are a parent in here or you are aspiring to be someday, you should indoctrinate your children. That's called parenting. That's called setting boundaries, healthy boundaries, so that your kids know where to grow. And sometimes when I have conversations with people and they go, oh, look, I don't, I don't want to indoctrinate my kids with, you know, with, with God. I just want to let them find their own way. I get, I get the principle behind that, the heart to go, I don't want to tell my children what to do. But if you don't, McDonald's most definitely is. All the Happy Meal toys, please. If you don't, Amazon definitely is. Sign up for Prime immediately. Give, give your money to, whatchamacallit, the ball guy. If it's not Steve Jobs, it's Jeff Bezos. If it's not Jeff Bezos, it's whoever currently runs McDonald's. You know, it, somebody is looking to indoctrinate your children. It should be you. The education department wants to indoctrinate your children. That isn't a conspiracy. That's their job. But it's up to you to determine if that's healthy and put some parameters around that. Who's going to disciple your kids if not you? It, it, it's not me. I'll just be frank. 
I'll say some things, they'll listen to some of them, they'll ignore others, much like all of you. That's fine. That's, that's part of my job too. But everyone is trying to indoctrinate you and your children. Again, this is not a conspiracy. This is just called marketing. This is not happening in Area 51. It's happening on Zoom calls and in boardrooms. And they're just saying, how can we make sure we can separate people from their money? Why? Oh, because they're evil? No, because they want to earn money. Do, do you get what I'm saying here? Culture is not necessarily bad or good. You have to read it, and you have to be aware that there is an agenda. Some of that is bad, some of it's good. More often, and here's where it gets confusing, it's a blend of both. So here's the third one. A culturally engaged leader knows when to fight culture. Because we don't want to be shifted by culture, we want to set it. And there are some times where we need to take a stand against culture. Now, let me give you a cultural force that is uh, prevalent in all of your lives, social media. Social media is everywhere. It's pervasive. Social media is, it is beginning to be thought of not so much as a tool you can use as potentially an addiction that needs to be broken. This is how researchers are beginning to think about it. Let me give you a few examples of why you need to think about how you use social media. Uh, social media accounts are built to be addictive. You know those notifications? You notice they're red or orange, bright colors, to attract your eye? Push notifications, they create a responsive stimuli like Pavlov's dog. So every time you get a little notification, you're like, oh, uh, you respond to it straight away. Uh, pulling down to refresh your screen, that was invented by someone who wanted it to mimic a slot machine. When you pull down to refresh, you know what I'm talking about? Ta-ching, 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 ta-ching. Little dopamine hit because the like button may be the most manipulative thing of all. Even the people who invented the like button are now saying it's not great because it gives us a tiny little narcissistic dopamine hit every time we press it. I play this same game, okay? This isn't me trying to tell you you're bad, I'm good, or anything stupid like that. What, again, social media. Do you know when I first got it? I first jumped on Facebook. Actually, it was probably MySpace before that. <laughs> Let that never be spoken of again. I first jumped on Facebook when I lived in Japan and I wanted to stay in touch with my friends in Australia. That's fantastic. But it has over time become something that is controlling us. Do we get rid of it? Maybe. Some people do. Do we dive into it? Maybe. Some people do. It's a work tool as well. The question is this. Do you know when to fight and when to affirm? Do we know when to stand against these cultural forces? That is critical for us as followers of Jesus. In the Second World War, when the Nazis were rising in power in Germany, some Christians took a stand before everyone else realized what was going on. Others aligned themselves with the Nazi government, and guess who history looks more fondly on? We need to be able to know when to take a stand and fight culturally. Fighting, by the way, is not always violent. It is not always aggression. Sometimes it's about saying, I'm not participating in this. I'm not involved. That's how I would encourage you to fight on social media, just non-participative sort of wise. Don't get into keyboard warrior stuff. Just please don't do that. His, his, so Paul sees the idols in Athens. It distresses him, but rather than getting angry, he uses it to connect with the people around him. So here's the fourth and final one. A culturally engaged leader knows when to affirm culture. Because again, if culture is neither bad nor good, Sometimes it needs to be rejected. Sometimes it needs to be affirmed. Sometimes we need to look around at the culture around us and go, this is fantastic. Let me give you an example I think deserves affirmation. This is the climate change movement. 
I think this deserves a huge amount of affirmation because Genesis 1 and 2 is effectively this beautiful love poem from God to the world saying, human human beings, look after this place. Now, climate change is a brand. The reason we say climate change and not global warming is because some clever people in marketing said this is going to stick in people's minds better. Does that mean we shouldn't care for the environment? No. So you've got to sometimes go, oh, I don't like this, but overall this is good. Can you understand? This is subtle. It's annoying, frankly, because black and white seems like it would be better. And black and white is the way we're trying to do life right now. Sometimes we need to look at a whole puzzle and we say, I affirm this, I reject this, and I reckon we can redeem this. That's the complexity of life, friends. That's the complexity of the kingdom of God. Culturally engaged leaders Know the times, read the times, know what to affirm, know what to reject, know what to redeem. So as I come to a close, I'm not closing, but I am coming to a close. (laughs) What is Encounter Church doing to build you into culturally engaged leaders in 2020? A few things. Number one, the best thing I can do for you is tell you to jump on your podcast and download this Cultural Moment podcast. I, this, is, this is not a joke. I am not paid by them. I'm not even really friends with them. It would be delightful. Mark, John Mark, if you're listening. But, but they are incredible. Mark Sayers and John Mark Comer, one from Portland, one from Melbourne. They get together and they talk about faith and culture. It is incredible. Download it immediately. That is honestly the best thing I can do personally because they're just better at this than me. They are a resource I want to give you as a church. Jump on your podcast, download this cultural moment. The second thing I want to do is we're doing something called building a discipling culture this year. And this is an all-pervasive thing where we want to work out how we can be better at following Jesus in 2020. It's going to be a slow burn, but we're looking for six to eight people to come on a two-year journey with us of how to set culture so that it looks more like Jesus. And I just want you, if you're part of this church, just pray about that. Just see if God puts it on your heart to plug in with something like that. It's a big commitment, but it might be for you. Here's the third thing. We're doing series called Faith for Exiles. Now, this is going to be a series that equips you to be a resilient disciple and a culturally engaged leader. Two for the price of one. That's coming up next month. I'm really, really excited about that. That's going to be something that's going to shape you and help you. And it's based on a whole bunch of statistical research done in the last 12 months. So it's great. There's a huge, exciting future possibility that I've got to hang out here and we're going to talk about with the church council and I'll come back to you when I've got it approved. But most of all, most of all, we will just continually, week after week after week, be trying to equip you and support you to follow Jesus in a way that makes sense in the 21st century. That doesn't mean we follow and affirm everything going on around us. It doesn't mean we reject and fight everything going on around us. It means we read our times and interpret them. That's what we're going to do as culturally engaged leaders. So if you want to be a culture setter this year, let me say this. Let me give you some wild out there advice. Spend more time with Jesus. I know, I'm a pastor. You'd never have expected that coming to church. Spend more time with Jesus. Statistically speaking, if you're a young adult, let's say between 18 and 30, let's stretch it out a little, 15 and 30, 
the way you are going to grow and differentiate yourself from the people around you is to immerse yourself in Jesus. Now, that means coming to church. That might mean doing an internship. That might mean gathering one-on-one and having conversations that go deep. That might mean praying together. That might mean running a Bible study. It might mean coming to Hillsong Conference with a bunch of us. We'd love you to do that. It means diving in. It means diving in because the bulk of your culture is not Christian. That's, that's just the way it is. Again, that's all right. This is where we live right now. But we want you to be wiser, stronger, more courageous about what it means to follow Jesus. And so dive into that. And if you have the discretionary time, spend as much of it as you can. So this is what David Kinnaman, who wrote Faith for Exiles, this next series we're looking at, uh, and in a lot of his research he came up with, he said basically this. If you want the difference between a resilient disciple and someone who just comes to church, they just spend more time intentionally pursuing Jesus. In fact, they spend twice as much time. That's the difference. And that includes coming to church. So let's say somebody comes to church and that's a significant part of their week, and then they, maybe they go to a life group and that's kind of it. Now, that'll grow them a bit. But if you really want to become a long-term resilient disciple, you've got to put an investment in. Think about it from a different way. Who's heard of the 10,000 hours theory? 10,000 hours, Malcolm Gladwell coined this idea that if you spend 10,000 hours on any particular idea, you can become an expert at it. It just makes sense. You spend more time doing something, you become more of an expert at it. If you're somebody who wants to grow in faith in 2020, find a way to spend more time with Jesus. I know, it's not exactly the most complicated advice, but it might be the most profound I give tonight. I was talking to somebody going through a rough patch recently, and, and they talked about how, what got them through it, and they said, basically, I just spent a night immersed in the Bible, just in reading the Word. And I thought to myself, that wouldn't have happened two years ago. That is somebody who says, that's the direction I'm going. Because encounter church like Jesus Christ is future-focused. It's not about where you've come from. It's not about the background you've had, whatever brokenness, whatever scene you've been in. We're not about judging you for that. What we're about is championing you into the life God has for you. That's what we want. What kind of culture is your life setting, church? What kind of culture is your life setting? I, I want to just, just pause here just for a second because I think this is the most foreign idea out of, out of our four missional goals being a culturally engaged leader. Most people who follow Jesus that I know really want to do it better, but they don't, they don't want to be crap at it. They want to do it better, but they don't know how. They don't, they don't have the tools, and then when we start talking about it, it feels overwhelming. Let, let me just say this. When I was praying before about, about how to share this with you, I just sense God saying, I'm working in you more than you think. You're, you're further along than you realize. And if you step out in faith, whatever that looks like for you, I'm going to step in. God's going to step in and do something. For some of you, stepping out in faith looks like getting baptized. For some of you, it might look like tonight putting a hand up to accept Jesus for the first time. For some of you, it's just another step in a lifelong journey. But God's got you. The the thing that really defines us as culturally engaged leaders and helps us lean into this idea and and latch onto it and buy it is this one statement that God loves you. He is for you. He is chasing after you and He is relentless. God is good. 
He is good. The culture that we set as followers of Jesus should by definition be good if it's coming from God. God is good, which means that what he wants for you is good. He doesn't want to hurt you. He's not here to like put limits on your life that are going to damage you. He actually wants to open up a whole new way of living that could transform you. This, this is just what I want to say to finish. Paul begs us in Romans chapter 12, he says this, don't, brothers and sisters, don't, 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 don't be conformed to the pattern of this world. It's so easy, but don't do it. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind. See, Paul was a thinker. He was a lawyer originally. You can still like him despite that. He says, be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Keep transforming. Keep renewing. Keep thinking. Don't let it go. And you say, okay, why? Why keep being transformed? He says, so that you might discern and understand what is the will of God for your life. Don't you want to hear from God? I do. Every day. It gets me up in the morning. I want to hear the voice of God. I want to read about it in Scripture. I want to get a text from my friend saying about how they've been growing in faith. I want to hear a story of someone's testimony about how God has moved powerfully in their life. I want to hear from God. And I want to hear from God, not just to make me feel good about my own decisions in life, but so that I can begin to realise what God is doing throughout the world. Because when we see culture, what we should think about is the Kingdom of God. And the way that began was Jesus Christ, God Himself, came born as lowly humanity to come among us. It's the most ridiculous, profound story you can imagine. And He lived among us and worked miracles and came alongside people and restored them into society. And He began to bring something called the Kingdom of God. And it threatened the empires of the world. It threatened the religious elite in Jerusalem. It threatened the Roman Empire. And so they strung Him up on a cross to die. But because He had lived a flawless life, He rose again from the dead. I'm telling you, the statements of Christianity are out there, but they're true. He rose from the dead and ascended to sit at the right hand of God. And He's coming again. But before He comes again, He's left every single one of us here with an invitation. Come home. Step into my culture. Step into my family. Step into the love I have for you. Step into what I'm trying to set up for you. Step into the kingdom of God and then take part in building it. You are not just a worshipper. You are not just a servant. You are a co-worker alongside Jesus Christ and building the true one healthy culture where love and grace and truth abound and the presence of God is there forever and ever and it shall know no end. The invitation to you is not just to be in it, but to build it. You're not just being dragged into something, you're being given a purpose with it. Jesus has begun a kingdom culture and He wants to continue it through us tonight. Thanks so much for listening. I pray that you were able to hear from God in a fresh way today. We'd love to hear from our listeners. To connect with us or to support the work of Encounter, please jump on our website, encounteradelaide.com.au. 
And if you enjoyed this podcast, don't forget to jump onto iTunes, Spotify, or your podcast provider and give us a rating and review. Or share this message on your social media accounts and tag us at Encounter Adelaide. God bless. Have an amazing week.